0: Thank you for joining us for episode 419 of Live Happy Now. With Memorial Day behind us, our thoughts are turning to summer vacations. We know they're fun, but do you know how good they are for us? I'm your host, Paula Phelps, and this week I'm talking with Andrew Stevenson, a social anthropologist, filmmaker, and senior lecturer in psychology at the Manchester Metropolitan University. Andrew's new book, The Psychology of Travel, Looks at what travel can do for us. And he's here today to talk about how we can approach it differently to get the most out of it. Let's have a listen. Andrew, thank you for joining me on Live Happy Now.
1: Thank you so much for having me. And it's a pleasure to be here. And hopefully we can have a good conversation about travel and health.
0: Yes. It's, oh, it's such a wonderful, first of all, it's timely because the audience doesn't know until right now that on the day we're talking, it's the day your book is being published. So it's very, Very great day for you.
1: It's a good day. This is a project which really came out of the pandemic, I suppose, when we had a lockdown imposed upon us and there was no opportunity to travel. And I was thinking about travel a lot over about a year or 18 months and decided to put some of my interest in psychology alongside my interest in travel. And I was quite surprised how many different directors...
0: I do want to dive into that answer just a little bit. What made you decide to look at it through the lens of psychology? Can you tell us a little bit about your background and why that was the natural path for you to go down?
1: Yeah, well, I in my day job, I'm a professor in psychology or a lecturer in psychology at Manchester Metropolitan University here in Manchester but my sort of specialist subject in psychology is culture and space and place and I'm really interested in the way that places affect the way that we feel and think and act and of course that's never more relevant than when we're actually experiencing new places and travel is a some somebody said that travel is the best bits of our lives isn't it and it's the bits that we tend to remember and of course not being able to do it for a couple of years, it brought this into sharp focus. I was missing it. Uh, I wanted to think about it and use some of the psychological concepts that I work with every day.
0: Yeah, and and you've delved into it so well in your book. And I was curious how you go about studying this. We have a lot of travel books. We have a lot of you know different ways to look at travel. How did you actually study the psychology of travel and how that affects us?
1: That's interesting I mean I think it was a combination of bringing together some of the areas that I personally have researched so someone thinks some things I'm interested in include things like migration and movement and the way that um, movement across borders affects our perceptions of people that kind of thing I'm also interested in social psychology and the way in which people behave differently in groups and of course when we travel we're thrust into all sorts of groups people we don't know surrounded by people and as well as some of my own personal interests I also was aware that quite a lot of people had written about things like fear of travel well-being and travel mindfulness and travel memory and those types of things and I decided I also was aware that there isn't really a book about the psychology of travel, even though there are lots of interesting academic articles, which are quite inaccessible for most people. Right. So, yeah, and so I thought, well, my job here is to just take some of the most interesting articles and topics that have looked at travel from a psychological point of view and put them into a coherent collection that that we can all enjoy. I, I tend to write in a... A slightly more accessible way than some of the articles I've been reading. (laughs) That's not a criticism. It's just the way that, that just the way that things are. I think.
0: Yeah, and I think that is important to note because when you hear about the psychology of travel, it sounds heavy, but it's really not. It's Mm -hmm. not. It's a very, as you said, it's a very accessible read and very engaging.
1: I mean, travel is something that we all enjoy doing. And psychology is really just about people and how they behave and think differently. And so, to bring those two things together, you're bound to get something interesting.
0: Yeah. And one of the things that you talk about, you say it's virtually impossible to travel alone. So, can you explain that and then talk about how other people affect our travel experiences in the way that we see travel?
1: Yeah. It's it's, uh, something that dawned on me really is that people often say, I'm going traveling alone. But of course, I, I, I defy anyone really to genuinely travel alone because whenever we move from one place to another whether it's by on foot or across the city or by air uh, we're surrounded by people and we're surrounded by people most of which we don't know we may travel without our own family but our decisions even if it's down to things like which restaurant shall I go to which beach shall I go to Whose are these footprints? You know, we can even be influenced by people who aren't even there anymore. But the idea of a crowd will affect our travel decisions. We may visit, for example, a monument or a gallery because other people are doing it. We may be tempted to stay in a hotel because TripAdvisor says it's got lots of good reviews and those people are affecting us. If, on the other hand, you're a bit antisocial like me, (laughs) <laughs> you might be more likely to go to go to a place where it's practically empty because you quite like to get away from the crowds. But these are both, whatever direction you're interested in, whether you want to do things that are conforming or whether you want to be a, a rebel, you're doing it in relation to what other people have either done or not done.
0: And then I know from my experience. You can make incredible friends and lasting, strike lasting friendships with people that you meet while traveling. I've got people that I met 20 years ago and we've stayed in touch. And it was one encounter. We haven't seen each other since then, but we have stayed in touch. So, how does that shape our lives too? We're getting all these experiences with people from other cultures and other walks of life.
1: Yeah, it's fascinating. There's so many different ways to answer that question. I mean, the, first of all, there's the social aspect of Traveling with somebody we already know, and having been on a journey with somebody who you may have known a bit before you went traveling together, that can really draw you together because what you're doing there is you're experiencing not everyday life, but you're experiencing a a particularly intense part of your life, the best bits of your life, if you like. So, you're traveling with somebody, and two weeks with somebody who was a a friend before or an acquaintance before then you really become a lot more friendly with them within those 2 weeks you get to know about all their you know characteristics and so on and that can really propel a friendship forward in, into the future so there's that aspect how it affects the friendships we already have or the acquaintances but the other thing is as well how does traveling to a different country for example affect your attitudes towards the people who already live there and there's that whole thing about hosts and visitors, isn't there? Mm. And it's a bit te- it could go either way. And a lot of research found that when you interact with cultures who you may not have met before, the most meaningful way of doing that and the way that produces the best relationships is where you interact with people on an equal footing. And that can often mean meeting people socially. So if you go to Mexico, for example, and you meet people who are from Mexico and you meet them as colleagues or you meet them as equals, then your attitudes towards that that group of people are likely to be a lot more positive than if you only ever meet people who are, for example, serving you coffee or cleaning up after you. You know what I mean? So there's that sort of status issue. But there's also there's no doubt that just being around uh, people from different cultural groups means that you've got much more firsthand experience of people that you may otherwise only read about in the the press. We all right. know that that can lead to lead to some kind of prejudice, not it.
0: And it also, for myself, it has created such a deep appreciation for the life that I lead, and where you know I have so much gratitude. We spent some time in canada up with the indigenous people up by the by the polar bears We are there to see polar bears (laughs) and it's an indigenous culture up there and seeing how they live and how challenging their lives are what they have to go through to get food to get water things like that it just instilled in me such an incredible appreciation for the simple things of being able to walk to a tap and turn it on and get a glass of water
1: i mean the whole uh Identify with that a lot because you know the whole idea of um, appreciating cultural diversity and realizing that the way that we live in our bubbles in our day-to-day existence is just one way of living, isn't it? Mm -hmm. And in a way, the ideal of travel is to highlight the commonalities that we have with other people we may not have met before, but also to appreciate the distinct challenges that they may also face. I, I I do um, a research project in Central America and we have collaborators in in Guatemala City and we do a lot of work with young people there and one of the things that we're looking at is the concept of sort of resilience and how people overcome challenges that they face in their everyday lives. And it's never anything other than surprised and impressed by the way that people cope with things that often... We don't cope with that well here the traffic in guatemala city is to me who live in manchester in england is incredible but i would say the level of stress that the traffic causes is much lower people just accept it as part of their everyday life and here in manchester where i live often the level of what we call road rage is quite a lot higher yeah. so the you know the difference is the way that we cope with um, the way that people cope with everyday challenges We can understand that a lot better through travel, I think, and learning about different cultural groups.
0: That is so true. And, you know, obviously not everybody loves to travel. Some people, you mentioned it, they have fear of travel. There's travel anxiety. Where does that come from? And how does leaving our comfort zone help us manage that?
1: Mm. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, um, we talk about travel anxiety. Psychologists have talked about travel fever, travel fear travel anxiety, worry about travel. The thing about that is they're all challenges, but some of those challenges are actually quite useful. So if we take something like travel worry, it's actually quite a good idea to be slightly worried about travelling because that can heighten your defences and it can help you plan the journey a little bit more thoroughly. So it's not a bad thing to be a little bit concerned and worried so that that can help you plan. The challenge that's a bit more difficult to explain is what you might call travel phobia, where sometimes people have a, a... They might have an irrational fear of something like flying. In fact, you know, statistics suggest that the chances of coming to harm in an aeroplane are a lot less than they would be just crossing the road or mm-hmm. uh, riding on a bus, for example. But some psychologists have it out that when you take a flight to another country, you're not just participating in a, in a potentially worrying form of transport, that you're actually leaving all your familiar objects and people and land, and it's that almost that kind of fear of losing contact with things that you're attached to, so it's almost like an attachment anxiety. And sometimes that can be one of the reasons for something like fear of flying, because these statistics don't bear out the amount of irrational fear that sometimes have, people have of flying. But I mean, the other thing, of course, is about anxiety and travel is that uh, there's this concept that we call uh, eco anxiety. Now, I know that many people think about global warming and the climate crisis mm-hmm. a lot. And during the pandemic, One of the, perhaps one good thing that came out of that is that, um, I don't know what it was like where you were living, but where we were living, we were able to take an hour of exercise every day and we were able to go for our walks in the local community. Through that, many of us discovered green spaces and little treasure troves of green spaces that we didn't know about before. And those types of things could really help us you know with our with our mental health a little bit right and it also helps us to understand that we can experience some very precious travel moments without flying across the globe mm-hmm. um, i think people are well figures suggest that um, eco anxiety is this genuine understandable anxiety about the state of the planet and people are starting to sort of modify their travel a little bit more now and maybe take fewer long haul flights or maybe when you do take a long flight, stay there, stay in the place you're going for a little bit longer, you know, rather mm. than making four or five shorter journeys. So I don't know about you, but uh, the pandemic opened my eyes a little bit to the the beauties in my own country. Um, Absolutely. I'm, I'm not going to give a flying, but I'm maybe started to think a little bit more that uh, there are some great things to see that are on my doorstep as well.
0: Yeah, you know, we kind of had that shift in mindset of where before it let, before we take another big international trip, let's really start looking around the U.S. because there's mm. amazing things here that we haven't discovered yet. And we've, we've constantly said, oh, we want to go there. We want to go to Big Bend. We want to check out Red Rocks. We want to do these things, and we haven't. So it's like when we start getting that travel itch, instead of saying hey let's jump on a plane and and hop across a pond let's let's discover what's in our backyard because it's a big that's backyard
1: quite, that's <laughs> true and quite often the the uh, the most the sort of wow moments or the great travel moments often come through some of the more mundane things that we see in our everyday lives and so you can you know and mindful to everyday experiences and mindfulness is something we are encouraged to practice in our everyday lives isn't it and the idea is that you try to appreciate the world in a constant childlike state of wonder mm-hmm. and you can enjoy the simplest pleasures like uh, you know a cup of coffee or or a walk or stroking a stray cat and those types of things can be appreciated not necessarily only on the other side of the world so it's about recognizing that travel enjoyment and pleasure aren't exclusively uh, on a on a set list of destinations that we're told right. to visit, you know.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think it can probably open your eyes to your everyday world a little bit more and the things mm-hmm. that, like, as you're talking, just the things that you can appreciate that are around you every day. Yeah, yeah.
1: that's right. I mean, it, uh, one of the key things about mindfulness is being able to appreciate your surroundings, but without making too quick a judgment about whether it's mm-hmm. good or bad. And sometimes when we suspend judgment, we give ourselves the time to enjoy whatever it is we're doing a little bit more, with taking a breath or savoring the moment a little bit. And in the era of five-star reviews and TripAdvisor, there's often a, there's often a, a quickness to try to say, "Yes, this is five stars. This is two stars." It might be a better idea just to be with that travel moment a little bit more and not being such a quick rush to keep it a certain number of stars, because sometimes we don't realize how satisfying an experience is until we've spent a little bit more time doing it.
0: And another thing that I've noticed with myself, you mentioned savoring, and I've noticed that oftentimes when I get home, I enjoy that trip experience more than I did in the moment. And I wanted to know what that's about, because there's been so many times, like, especially on a long trip, by the end of it, you're like, okay, this is great, but I'm kind of ready to go home. And when you do get home and you really have time to sit with it, I don't know. I just feel like I, I appreciate it so much more after the fact, even than I do when it's happening.
1: Yeah, that's interesting. It relates to the, the idea of well-being and travel. And I suppose one of the reasons we're talking today is just to think about um, whether travel makes us happy or not. And there's something I discuss in the book is the relationship between happiness and travel. And psychologists have come up with this idea of uh, different types of happiness. So uh, one of them, sometimes known as um, uh, hedonistic enjoyment, mm-hmm. hedonistic travel, <clears throat> which is all about uh, pure physical joy in the moment. And we often get this kind of experience through, I don't know, skiing down a mountain or sort of windsurfing or something like that. And then the other type of enjoyment is sometimes done as eudaimonic happiness or well-being. And that's the kind of well-being that accrues through something like developing a skill, learning a language, understanding a culture. And it's a little bit more of a, a marathon rather than a sprint, if you like. And I think that what you're referring to there is the way that the skill, let's just say, of learning a language when you visit a place or learning a little bit about a local artist. Say if you visit Mexico City and you l- learn about Frida Kahlo, a fascinating historical figure. Those types of eudaimonic uh, enjoyment are often the ones which research suggests stay with you longer after the visit. Whereas if you visit a place and you purely want to live in, maybe just live in the fast lane and purely want to have hedonistic enjoyment that's great while it's happening but there may be a bit of a holiday hangover when you get back and the enjoyment may not be such so long lasting and memorable I mean to be honest I think the secret really to a good visit is to try to do a little bit of both of those right so that you know so that you can have let's just say there's a cliche uh, travel can broaden the mind that would be the sort of longer lasting enjoyment but you might want to party a little bit as well. But I think it's uh, being able to combine those.
0: You know, I was having a conversation with a friend a few days ago, and she was talking about how her in-laws always go back to the same place. Like they do not want to yeah. travel to other places. They find things that they like, and then they just go to that over and over. And she, of course, wants to try something new every time. Is there Does that affect us differently, or is it just a personality type? What What makes us well, tick that way?
1: That's, that is interesting, and, and again, you're going, you're going to have those kinds of people who are quite habitual and who get a lot of enjoyment through developing routines. And I think there are other people who struggle with sameness you know, and struggle with repetition. Mm-hmm. And um, I think there are good and bad aspects to both of those in terms of the experience of travel, because... I think there's a lot of value personally in immersing yourself a little bit in a place and trying to find a little bit about how, how it ticks. So if I visit a city, for example, let's just uh, take, I don't know, Los Angeles or uh, Mexico City or something. If if I'm there for a week or so, it's an, there's an awful lot going on in a place like that. And I would be reluctant to spend a day there and then jet off to New York to see what that's like for a day right and then get off to Washington to see like see what that's like for a day because the richness and, and of experience that is available in any um city or town or county or whatever it is or, or region is really in, inexhaustible I think and so it's not so much about having routines it's about having the Uh, commitment to 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 explore a little bit more in a bit more depth and have that kind of mindful approach I mean I think there is a list we always talk about bucket lists don't we people talk about uh, lists of things I'd like to do before we go away and I often think or, or while we're away I should say and I often think that the itineraries that we make for ourselves or develop for ourselves when we travel sometimes they are things that are coming from our own interests but sometimes we follow an itinerary which has almost been presented to us and I think we often fall victim to this or to travel guide we we become slaves to the travel guide don't we
0: absolutely yeah you know
1: and 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 we can often have the experience of taking the same photograph that everybody else is taking you know and that kind of thing so I think I think there are people who are quite happy to just take the commodified view of travel and take the photograph, there might be a queue of people taking the same photograph, other people are more likely to try to be a bit more immersive and find out a bit more about what's going on in an everyday sense about a place that they visit.
0: Yeah. So we're running this as summer is kicking off and people are starting to think about travel. Well, it is based on the book, everything that you've studied. What's your recommendation for travelers to keep in mind this this season?
1: Well, I think uh, first of all you need to think about who you're going to travel with, and you'd think about what kind of social situation you want to put yourself in. But well, I think my number one piece of thing to think about really is when you travel. Are you thinking of yourself as a, a traveller or of, as a tourist? And I've got a nice little quote here from the novelist Paul Bowles who wrote his novel is called The Shelter in Sky, which is all about the difference between travel and tourism. And he says, the difference between a travel traveller and a tourist is, whereas the tourist generally hurries back home at the end of a few weeks or months, the traveller belongs no more to one place than the other moves slowly over periods of years from one part of the earth to another. And for me, the traveller is somebody who's following their own dream about discovering something about themselves, trying to be mindful and developing their own re- relationship with sort of cultural diversity and finding something interesting about themselves. The tourist may be experiencing hedonistic travel, but maybe they're having the same holiday, that everybody else is having as well. I think you've got to decide which of those you want to be really. It's not that one's better than the other, but they are quite distinct.
0: That is so interesting. Andrew, you've given us so much to think about. I love this conversation. We're going to tell people how to discover your book because it's 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 such an important and accessible read. And I also, thank you so so it's for not writing a very big book either and it will I know it's, it's it goes <laughs> quick. It's a very slim volume. So uh it's you can read it on a plane. <laughs> exactly. Andrew, thank you again. I appreciate your time today.
1: Thanks for having me on, Paula, and have a great summer.
0: You too. That was Andrew Stevenson talking about why travel is so good for us. If you'd like to learn more about Andrew, follow him on social media or check out his new book. Just visit us at livehappy.com and click on the podcast tab. And while you're there, remember there's still time to swing by the Live Happy store and take advantage of our spring special where you can get 25% off storewide just by entering the code SPRING25. That is all we have time for today. We'll meet you back here again next week for an all-new episode. And until then, this is Paula Phelps reminding you to make every day a happy one.